All right, we're back in the shop with a uh, new episode of Backlash Podcast. Last week we were live from the Milwaukee Muskie Expo, and we would like to thank everybody for coming out to that expo. That was great, and we're going to do it again. And let's see here, by the time this episode comes out, I think we'll be like 10 days away from the Minnesota Muskie Expo, so that would be March 10th, 11th, and 12th over at the uh, State Fairgrounds in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Speaking of that, we're going to talk to Paul Hartman from the Minnesota Muskie Expo. And we're also going to talk to Andy Hendrickson from Hendo's Angling. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, dark stained water in northern Wisconsin. So that's kind of what we have on tap. Like I said, we want to thank everybody for their support for the show so far this year. That was uh, fantastic. And uh, we're looking forward to doing it in Minnesota. And Brad, I think based off response... We're probably going to have to do a live podcast from the Minnesota Expo as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I think it was really well received, and uh, it's kind of different. You know, it's the first time, I guess, the easiest way for us to do almost a guide panel type scenario right on on the podcast. So that was really cool. So we haven't officially done any plans. We will get that next week we'll probably tell you exactly what we're going to do but i would assume brad you know probably somewhere around that seven o'clock mark i think we go till 8 30 minnesota usually those uh shows die down a little bit around seven on a friday night we should probably get that uh rolling out of your booth again and if anybody wanted to stop out ask us a question you know we kind of went around the horn and came up with a few questions that we needed to ask but if anybody wants to stop out ask questions listen to it in person they can always do that i would assume that would be cool i know that um for the milwaukee show it was the crowd of uh, pretty much zero yeah that's for sure jeff i honestly thought that we'd have a few listeners there where they would be uh, be asking some of the questions but unfortunately we didn't see it in milwaukee maybe we will in minnesota and then i know i haven't ran this by brad yet but there's a very good likelihood that i will do the same when we are in the uh, Wisconsin Muskie Expo up in Wausau, mostly because uh, I found that this was actually very convenient for me to do it because we record it and it's already the work is already done when I'm at the show during an off time of the show. So when I get back home, I don't need to try to race together to put together an episode. And it turns out that I think these episodes are far much more informational and better than if Brad and I got together in an expo and said, hey, thanks a lot for coming out to the, to the expo last weekend. It was fun and we, and we kind of recapped that. So I think that's something that we will probably try to continue to do, you know, again next year during expo season. I know that we missed Chicago this year and we had talked about doing it and I just got too busy, forgot my stuff. I needed to record it. So it's something that I think moving forward, we're going to definitely want to continue uh, down that path. It's, I think it's a better episode for the listeners, maybe not necessarily with, you know, there's a little bit of background noise and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, clicks and pops that we don't uh, get when we uh, record in the studio exactly, but you know, it's uh, you got a little bit of give and take there, I think. Yeah, I think uh, the little bit of noise probably uh, is made up by some good topics and uh, good conversation. And we have that going on. The Minnesota show is coming up quick. We'll be at the Wisconsin show the weekend after that. If you're looking for gear, you know, if you can't make it out to an expo, certainly check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. You can also check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. For all your musky tackle needs, I know we're uh, just about knocking on the door for March. In fact, I think this episode might come out on March 1st, potentially. I can't remember exactly. But anyways, you know, Brad, we're going to be doing some real live fishing here. I know we talked about it a little bit uh, recently with Scott Donovan, who's been out on the water. But there's a chance that you probably are even considering doing a, a early spring trip, huh? Get some little filming out of the way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, with Mayhem's 10,000 cast, we actually have the first one in the can ready for uh, next season. Um, we're just over halfway point of, of the current season that's airing right now on KOTV as well as YouTube. The more I can get done, the earlier, the better, right? I mean, it, it just takes a lot of pressure off. So I will definitely be heading south here in the next, oh, I'd say month or so. Not exactly sure what state. But uh, we got a couple of different ideas that we're kicking around. Looking forward to getting back on open water, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Many of our um, listeners are probably going to be starting to, you know, kick that around a little bit, especially if you're in Illinois. You know, I know that it's been a pretty mild winter all the way across the range, and I would imagine they're going to start firing up Ohio, PA. I'm, I'm starting to think that a bunch of them didn't even stop fishing this year. I, I would imagine West Virginia has probably had availability all year as well. So, Certainly, uh, musky fishing seasons will be in full swing here really soon. But Brad, I think uh, we should just dial up our first conversation with Paul Hartman, and we'll talk a little bit about the Minnesota Muskie Expo. And like I said, then we'll transition to uh, Andy Hendrickson from Hendo's Angling, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, actual fishing instead of uh, you know getting out there to you know do a little preseason or yeah preseason prep. We'll call it with the uh, Minnesota show. There you go. All right, our guest here on the front end of this episode is none other than Paul Hartman, and the reason we have Paul on is because it's expo season, but more importantly, it's the Minnesota Muskie Expo. So far, we've been out to two. We did the Chicago one, we did the Milwaukee one, and next on the list is Minnesota. So, Paul, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come out and talk to us about the expo, because, I mean, it's by the time you hear this episode, it'll be like 10 days away, a little over a week away. So it's exciting times. I mean, these expos have been well attended so far this season, and I certainly expect to see, you know, exactly the same thing in Minnesota, provided we don't have any weather events, which I hope you've put your order in with the big guy to make sure that uh, things are taken care of for that weekend. But if we could have a clean uh, bill of weather, I suspect that the Minnesota Muskie Expo will be fantastic as it usually is. Yeah, for us, we've been watching the weather here for the past month. And before that, we were looking at the Farmer's Almanac, trying to predict what we have coming our way. For us, the biggest thing is making sure we have a good weather weekend where guys can get in there. They don't have to fight snow getting in and don't have to worry about beating a storm out the door. So if we can get a nice weekend, we'll be loading it up again this year. We're Minnesotans and we're used to this weather, Paul. So, you know, we can complain about the weather and last year it was a little bit interesting with some freezing rain and such, but you know, amazingly enough, it was still a good show. People are coming out. They're going to make their way there. You know, good weather is always a better bet, but like I said, Minnesotans aren't afraid. For me, everybody who's doing this has a four wheel drive truck. None of them call in sick for the entire winter with, uh, telling their boss they're going to be uh, home because it snowed three inches. But when it gets to be showtime, people get a little soft. So, Well, Brad, if it's anything like it has been the past two shows, we're going to deal with some weather on uh, Wednesday, potentially into Thursday, and then it'll clear up on Friday and we'll be good to, we're good to go. Good traveling. At least that's what we can hope for, right? Well, this one's a little bit closer to home for me, Jeff. So, you know, bring the weather, I guess, if it has to be there. I, I hope it isn't. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what, in the last couple of years, I've dealt with a ton of it trying to get through shows. So hopefully we don't have that issue. Say, Paul, let's talk a little bit about the venue because 
you know, last year was, you know, first year post-COVID. So uh, turnout I thought was good, but certainly not what we expected. And that was the case across all the shows. You know, for people that are coming out to this show for the first time, if they skipped last year, what can they expect out of this new venue? Because as far as, you know, parking concerned, it's uh, much better than what we had before. And, you know, for the, uh, the patron coming to the show, I feel like it's a lot better experience. Why don't you kind of talk a little bit about that? For us, it's almost the identical layout once you get into the show, but the big thing for us, obviously, is the parking. Uh, over at Concordia, we had a lot of issues, especially on the busiest part of Saturday. It was hard to find spots. And Here you have the state fairgrounds, so you've got unlimited parking. They have a midway parking lot that I think can accommodate 500 cars. And right across the street to the south, we also have another lot with a couple hundred car capacity. So. Uh, even on our busiest day, you can park within two blocks of the facility. Yeah, and then once you get through the door, uh, with the added space at the facility we have here, we've also incorporated the Minnesota Anglers Boat Show. So as you come into the show, the entire track circumference is all uh, boats, and Rangers are sponsor again for that this year. And then in the show, you know, we still have the seminar area, um, with the bench seating there, so that lays out nice for what we're doing. And But the magic to it all is the manufacturers, the retailers. I mean, you guys are the ones that make this truly a must-see deal. And getting in there and just leaving time to, you know, talk to the guides, talk to the manufacturers, ask the retailers what's hot in my region, and then pay attention to what they're telling you because they really do get a lot of inside information they're all willing to share it. That's why they're there. You know, Paul, we'll jump back to seminars here in a second, but you know, that's one thing uh, Brad and I talk about quite a bit is it seems like there's, you know, a good handful of new muskie anglers to it and they might not understand exactly what these shows are all about. You want to talk a little bit about why you think a muskie angler should come out and visit at one of these expos? For me, it's really the chance to connect with everyone in the industry. You know, a good example would be like, I was talking with Brad and Jerry over at the Chicago show and told him I'm heading down to Louisiana. We're going to try for some alligator gar. Five minutes later, Carrie's got six baits in my hands and a bunch of pictures of someone they know down there that's catching some monsters using some of the grenades. So of course I had to pick up a couple of those, a couple of the new mini grenades. Uh, but if you take the time to talk to each booth and kind of tell them, Hey, I fish this lake. Um, I had bad luck last fall. Did you hear anything? They'll share everything they know. And I mean, those are the shortcuts. One piece at a time, you get that information from a guide, a little bit from the manufacturer. The retailer tells you, you're going to Lake of the Woods. This is the color we've had the most people buy in that are heading up that direction. Each of those little tidbits of information are, you know, one step closer to you having a good year out on the water that year. So, um, and then, obviously, the seminars, you know, like we said, we'll come back to those. But that in itself is three days worth of schooling. And each one of those, bring a notebook, write down three or four things that you can put on a note card, stuff in the dash of your boat, and pull it out when things get tough. You know, rattle your memory a little bit. There's a lot of, lot of great shortcuts on that, too. Yeah, I think the bottom line truly is it's building relationships, which then builds a network. And it's just a a ton of information that's shared. You know, say you're going to Canada this year. I can, you know, myself or somebody else um, that has been up there in the last couple of years, 
they can share what baits that uh, were working for them. I mean, it's only going to make your whole experience and your trips a little bit better. Yeah, Brad, you know, we've talked about it before. Like you said, it's, you know, we, we try to say hi to as many people as we can coming to these booths. And, you know, if you have a question, you know, certainly let us know. We'd love to help you out. We'd love to talk musky fishing with you. That's I kind of stand in the one corner all day long, and that's pretty much my job. I don't get to uh, touch money. They won't let me do that. So they just stick me in the corner and let me talk to people about whatever they want to talk about. So if you have, you know, questions on a bait, uh, a rod, uh, whatever, you know, certainly you're going to get more out of these expos if you're uh, out there and, and, you know, getting in, involved in it. If you walk walk through, you can certainly uh, pick up a few things here or there. But, you know, if you have questions on certain things, you know, certainly let, it, let us all know. That's why we're there. That's why we come out to these expos to just, you know, get in touch with people. The other part with trying to network at these shows is show up when things are going to be slower. Show up, you know, come in Saturday at 3 o'clock and stay until the closing at 6.30 uh, when things are slower. Um, come in there Friday towards the end of the evening, Sunday first thing in the morning, because then the guides have more time. Uh, if you show up and it's the uh, mad rush Saturday at 2 o'clock, it's harder to get information from people because they're just trying to do all the business that's going on, but um, towards the, you know, especially all these shows, the last two hours of the day, things slow down a little bit. The exhibitors are there. They're willing to share all the information they're hearing. And of course, everyone who comes in to buy a bait from you, Brad, they got to tell you, you know, what they saw in Harriet and what they caught on Independence. And they spill their guts and all that information's there to be regurgitated to the next guy coming through who has questions and can just sit around and listen for a minute and try and pick up on it. Yeah, for sure, Paul. I mean, that's part of the networking, right? Another aspect that I think maybe uh, a lot of the new anglers don't understand is, like, say, in our Muskie Man Tackle booth, we are building customs. I mean, it's an opportunity for them to actually touch and feel the, the flashaboo, pick out their color of blades, pick out their skirt colors, and watch it get built right there in front of them. Now, a lot of the other manufacturers are also coming with custom colors that are only available at these shows. So, that's another thing that I think uh, people get when they come to the shows as well. Uh, that's a hundred percent correct too. It seems like right now fishing's kind of harder than it's ever been for a lot of people, and you know, especially Minnesota, Canada is still somewhat easy territory. But it seems like the guys that are you know doing some quirky little things with colors, uh, getting tips from you as far as little modifications to the baits. Um, doing something where you stand out from what the standard shelf bait is that the fish are seeing a lot of standard presentations. It's finding those little tweaks and, you know, just small modifications, a little bit of custom color that the fish aren't accustomed to. And you can turn some extra fish that way each year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that brings us back into the topic of about seminars. And a lot of times, a lot of those speakers are talking exactly about that, Paul. They're talking about tweaking those baits and, and doing different modifications to the baits to actually uh, encounter more fish. There's all, almost all the guys do a certain amount of guiding that are on the seminar list. And uh, I mean, those guys, that's their bread and butter is trying to figure out what these little idiosyncrasies are what the quirky little things are that are going on on each body of water whether it's a certain time of day that windows are opening up certain weather conditions but those are the guys that kind of will open your eyes to all the little things that also can put more fish in the boat for you and that's and i mean for me musky fishing 
isn't a hundred fish in a year, you know, it might be a dozen fish in a year, or eight fish in a year, 20 fish in a year. Um, so each one of them that you can get a shortcut to, it's kind of a major deal to pick up on those. And you can, once you get that first fish too, it's kind of easy to build on it and start trying to put together a pattern. And seems like if we get a fish, a lot of times we'll get two or three in a day. Um, but that being said, then the next two or three days might be pretty hard sailing for us too. So, well, Paul, you know, let's talk some of the names that you guys have out for seminars. If you can, you know, give us a handful of them, or if you know all of them, let's, uh, get an idea of who people can expect to hear from. Sure. So, uh, I mean, just running through the entire list of the people we have here, we'll bring that one up. Uh, first of all, show hours were 2 to 8.30 Friday, 10 to 6.30 Saturday, and 10 o'clock till 4 o'clock Sunday. We kind of shortened up our evening hours. We kept hoping for this afternoon seminar, or uh, after dinner, pardon me, rush to happen, and we just, we never ended up getting it. So we've kind of given up on that one. But then seminar-wise, we start off right away, 3 o'clock, Doug Wagner on Friday. Doug's become, I think, in the past five years, probably one of the most celebrated and followed guys out there. Uh, a lot of guys follow him on YouTube. And then at his seminars, they're always packed. So get there a little bit early, lead time. Mike Keyes, obviously, he's got a big following and for good reason he puts together a great show and they're doing some quirky little things he's probably one of the the best for coming together with just odd tactics in odd places and um, he has some great information then Luke Ronestrand's been our local favorite for a long time Luke's spending most of his time on Vermilion but everywhere he goes he's catching lots of fish um, Saturday we got Greg Thomas Greg's obviously put on the Muskie schools all over the country, uh, been a top guide in Minnesota for a lot of years. Jim Sarek's coming over one o'clock on Saturday. Jim's had his show forever and uh, probably is, I think, as well known as the name as anyone we have in the lineup. Uh, ben Olson on the electronics and the technical side of things. Uh, there's a lot going on with the electronics board facing sonar, um, side imaging. Um, learning how to interpret your electronics and put more fish in the boat with whatever you have. So that'll be a good one more on the technical side. And uh, I think he's going to touch on some of the other new products out there too. And then for Saturday, our final one's 4.30, Josh Brodsky. He's got the Muskie Insider. He's been a local guide here for 20 plus years. Knows the local lakes from Minnetonka through Vermilion as well as anyone in the state. So uh, he's usually sharing some kind of oddball observations and uh, also has a lot of great side tactics. Um, Sunday, we're going to have uh, Sarah Trampy. She's uh, kind of, you know, YouTube been a phenomenon with the fish that they're catching. They have a resort up in Canada there, uh, but she's going to talk a, a little bit more on the woman's perspective of the sport and uh, some of the shortcuts she's found to catch in fish and also some of the tricks she knows and just making it easier to last a full day out on the water and uh, still keep your chances high at connecting with the fish, but doing it a little bit easier than what a lot of the people are doing it. Uh, 12.30 is probably our best attended seminar, the guide panel. We bring in a bunch of the Minnesota Muskie guides. Um, those guys talk about what the local 
hot and cold periods of them, the secret baits, uh, and the quirky things they found. And each year that seminar ends up being kind of completely revamped because things change so much year to year now. Uh, final one will be Rob Kim. He was uh, one of the original in fisherman musky guys uh, tied in with Esox Angler when they were around. Rob's kind of quietly still behind the scenes, catch a lot of fish, an expert on everything from Minnesota to Canada, and he's going to share kind of some of the technical stuff he's doing, some of the tinkering he does. Um, and he spent a lot of time in the boat with Jack Burns, and Jack was another one that was famous for kind of approaching things from outside the box, doing things different than the average guy and having results that show. And Paul, why don't we talk a little bit about the hours, and then let's reiterate the location of this this uh, event. And I think, I mean, we should have most of the information that people need to come out and enjoy it. Uh, the dates were March 10th, 11th, and 12th. And uh, Paul, you probably have the hours for all those days. Yes, yep. Friday is 2 till 8.30. Saturday, we're back open 10 till 6.30. Sunday, 10 until 4.00. Um, like I said, avoid the crowds. Come Friday after dinner, you know, maybe like four thirty, five o'clock Saturday to show up at 3 o'clock. Things slow down. You really get a chance to connect with people. And then Sunday, get there first thing. Uh, church crowd kind of keeps it slow when the doors open, but get there early. Um, swing through, talk to everyone. We're back at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds for a second year. Um, we're in conjunction with Ranger-sponsored Minnesota Anglers Boat Show. So if you're shopping for a, a new rig, they'll have stuff in stock that you can go pick up a couple weeks out, not wait six months out like we're hearing horror stories of. And everything is at minnesotamuskyexpo.com. So it's just mnmuskyexpo.com. Make a weekend out of it. A weekend pass, tickets are only $10. Weekend pass is $17. But it's just like everything. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. Uh, bring a notepad with, spend your time down there. They got a couple good food vendors. Uh, that's a big change from the college, too. There's some good quality food here. It's reasonable. Uh, have a beer, take in every seminar, and just spend the time down there taking notes, picking people's brains, and hoping that each little tidbit you get puts an extra fish in the boat for you at some point. Definitely. So, Paul, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk about the Mini Minnesota Muskie Expo, which is coming up on March 10th, 11th, and 12th. And uh, we're looking forward to coming out there. We'll see you in about uh, 10 days, roughly, from the time this podcast comes out. Should be a good time had by all. And uh, we're looking forward to one one more Muskie Expo in the, in the books, and it should be a, a great time there in Minnesota. Thanks for coming out, Paul. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. You too. Have a good one. All right, our guest this week is Andy Hendrickson, Hendo's Angling, and Andy primarily guides out of, uh, let's say, the Rhinelander, Eagle River area, northern Wisconsin. And, you know, Andy, first off, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. Secondly, you know, you've never been on our podcast, so, and, you know, I would I, I know of you fairly well. I've met you many times at shows, and, and I'm very aware of you, but maybe our listeners aren't as aware of you as they should be. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what got you into musky fishing, talk a little bit about your guide service, because, you know, as much as I don't like to talk about other fish species, you definitely target them. So let's talk a little bit about all that today. Yeah, I grew up in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, and, you know, went to high school and college, joined the, joined the military for 
for a handful of years. But when I was a kid, you know, I'd come up to northern Wisconsin and the Hayward, um, Rhinelander, you know, Phillips area, and we'd come up fishing, um, you know, a couple weeks a year. I'd come up with my dad and grandpa, and we'd, you know, explore some of these beautiful lakes up in the Northwoods. And I just kind of, it, it was one of those things where, you know, you were on vacation. It was just, just kind of a dream to be up in this area and, you know, fishing all these different lakes and that. But, you know, once I got out of the service, I, you know, moved back to Wisconsin and uh, I, I moved up to Rhinelander and I've been guiding now uh, this coming year. I'll be my 11th year being full-time fishing guide. And I do um, do all species, a few guides up here that just do musky, but I like doing the different species. It is definitely more difficult to fish all species, but, you know, we all started out with, you know, with a little casting pole, little Snoopy pole or whatever, you know, fishing for these bluegills, crappies, perch, walleye. That was all kind of our first thing. And, you know, I, I take people out from, you know, three to 93 in the boat. And it's, it's cool to have, you know, people out that are really young and some of these older people that that's what they remember as a kid from, uh, you know, 80, 90 years ago and, and getting those, you know, catching those fish. And I, I have a, a real passion for taking families out and, you know, even people that just want to go out because it, it, it's not about just catching fish. There's, there's certain techniques in areas of our country that these fish bite with. And, you know, people say, well, going out and catching crappies is boring. And I've had people from different, you know, like I said, different areas of the country, they come up and they're like, I didn't realize there was so much developed into the technique of catching these things because certain lakes you have to do certain things you know jigging you have to jig through the weeds you have to use slip bobbers and you have to move that bobber just enough for that fish to get attracted to it and you know if you're doing it if you're if you're jigging on that bobber too much or not enough the fish isn't going to bite so there's a lot more to it than just sitting there and not you know, waiting for the fish. It, it, there's there's a lot more to it on certain bodies of water to catch these fish that we learn as as anglers and as guides. So, Andy, let's talk a little bit about this. It's not a question I asked. Yeah, we uh, kind of talked previously about. Okay. But what yeah. makes fishing up in northern Wisconsin so special? You know, I personally, it's my favorite place to fish. I like it. You know, some people are like, "Wow, well, there's not enough big fish," but to you, obviously, you live there. You know, uh, people yep. want to come up and, and travel and they come visit you from, you know, Illinois and Minnesota and wherever. Yep. So what makes Northern Wisconsin so special? One of the things I just love about it is we have hundreds and hundreds of lakes, you know, from gin clear to coffee colored and everything in between. We've got shallow lakes that don't hurt, have turnovers. And I'll, I'll, we'll get into that as we start talking about some of the, the stained lakes further on in this, in this podcast. But I mean, we got lakes that have, you know, white fish and ciscos and, and smelt in them that get 100 plus feet deep. And then we have lakes that don't hardly have any water that gets deeper than 10 feet. You know, you got one body of water that might be off. You go right across the street to one that's a little bit darker um, and, and it's in the bites on over there. There's It's a double-edged sword because when I'm guiding, I might not know until... I go to pick my clients up that morning where I'm going to fish. I might have three or four different lakes in my head. And I'm like, where should we go? And, you know, you got to go by instinct a lot on that stuff as you get further along in your career. And, you know, just like all of us have done, I've made mistakes and it's like, Oh, let's leave this body of water and go to another one. But 
you never see anything, you know, more than once, you know, being a client, I've had clients up here for, you know, 11 years now, this, this coming year that have been up here two to three times a year and they've never seen the same body of water. Cause they, they're like, Hey, we want to go out. We want to see different water. You got people that come from the concrete jungle down in Chicago that have never seen an Eagle before, never seen a, a, a fawn before. And they get, you know, out on this water. And I had a guy from Chicago area and we drove around the Eagle river chain fishing multi-species. And he thought the whole thing looked like a park. You know, it's something that, that it just, just very pristine. Um, there's a lot of woods, a lot of water up here. And it, it just, I say there's, there's so many different lakes to choose from. And it, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful area up here. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, that's one of those things, like you said, the, the amount of lakes that you can choose from is, is kind of what attracts me. I mean, if you pull up to a boat launch and it's a little too busy or whatever, I mean, busy up there might be uh five, six boats in the boat launch, but Yep. If it's too busy and you want to go somewhere else, you don't want to deal with that. You, you know, you can literally drive a couple of miles down the road. You can find a new musky lake. And, and a lot of times you'll find that somewhere along the line, there'll be a, a lake that's not, you know, pressured at all that day. And I'm not saying yep, that exactly. five boats is a lot of pressure, you know, because obviously it's not. But, you know, for northern yeah. Wisconsin, it certainly can be. Like I said, it's a double-edged sword where you think, and I, I got to have, you know, secondary, third dairy, fourth dairy lakes on my list. Cause I go to a boat landing and it's, you know, some of the landings up here on these lakes are, are crap, you know, and others are, are pristine on these real small lakes and you get better lakes for fishing in that. And there's, you know, and sometimes we like those landings that aren't as finished as they should be because it keeps some boaters away from them. But you know, some of them, some landings only have a spot for two or three vehicles. And if you get there and those are flooded down, it's like, I got to go somewhere else now. So you got to have, you know, you got to have different thoughts about lakes, even, even as a guide, um, you know, first, second lake might not work because of one, for one reason or another. So you got to have A, B, C, D, and E in your, in your arsenal, or even you're going out for a multi-species day. It's one thing about Northern Wisconsin. When I first bought my Lund boat, it had a, um, a bunk trailer on it. And I'm like, well, I want that changed out to a roller trailer. And they're like, well, what do you mean? No, nobody uses roller trailers these days. I said, no. well, some of the stuff that I fish up in northern Wisconsin, the landings are so crappy that I can barely get the rollers in the water unless I was to yep. get a shovel out and dig it out. So it works out great, you know? Yeah, and I, you know, I've got bunks on my trailer, and I, there's some days I wish it had rollers on it, but there's other days I'm glad it doesn't have rollers. I fish right until ice up in that, and, you know, there's, I've known some guys that have had some ones that have had rollers on there, but you know, my recon has got bunks. There's certain landings that have very little slope that are super shallow that you need to have hip waders on to get your boat in the water. Well, it, it's something you need to prepare for when you're up here. I know my dad all the time, do I got to bring boots with, or does this landing have a, a dock? You know, it's just one of those questions he always asks me because he knows some of these landings are, you don't know where you're going to end up. I know summertime, I don't worry about it too much. Usually I'm wearing shorts, so if I got to get out of the water, not a yep. big deal. I know yep. as we push towards, you know, late fall, you know, call it almost like early winter up there, you know, that that October, November, I always have a pair of hip waders with me because, like you said, I don't know if they pulled the docks. I don't know. Sometimes I need a dock. Sometimes I don't have a dock. It, I mean, there's a bunch of landings there that you don't even ha ever have the option to have a dock. So it's, uh, yep. you always got to come prepared if you're going to fish northern Wisconsin. 
exactly. Yep, you got to prepare for all scenarios. All right. Well, Andy, one thing we uh, we wanted to talk about today was your approach to dark stained water, and you know maybe what some of the benefits it offers for you. You know, let's talk a little bit about that because I don't know that we've really went down that path before. You know, too much as far as uh, you know an approach to dark stained water. So let's uh, let's go down yeah. that path. Yeah, some of the you know some of the water I like to fish um, at certain times here is is really dark stained water. It does have its advantages and disadvantages. You know, say. I've got clients that have never fished muskies before. I'm probably not going to take them to a super dark body of water because they're going to have a fish fall up that they're never going to see, you know, but in other times you got people that you're on, you know, say a mid stained body of water, like the Eagle river chain, they'll see a muskie come up and they won't even see the fish because they're not used to seeing that or they'll see a fish and they'll freeze and they won't do a proper figure eight it's one of those things where they're never going to see that fish down there. And I, there's been days that I'll see fish that they never see and they don't think they're seeing fish. But on the other hand, if they don't see this fish in the figure eight, they have less of a chance to kind of freeze and freak out getting this fish. But you know, some of the dark water I fish is, is fairly shallow and it's got, you know, lots of stumps, rocks, brush piles, cribs in it. So you can run over these spots and you can do these real long figure eights and these fish are going to be, you know, right on these brush piles and that where I got, you can almost walk across the waypoints that I've got, you know, on some of these, some of these areas, you know, you get these current flows, you get these creek beds with the tannic acid coming in and out that get real shallow. You can, you know, creep up in these lakes. You don't see the fish as much. I think they are less pressured to a certain extent. People don't like to, you know, jet ski on them or swim in them because they see the lakes as being dirty, but they're only just, you know, tannic stained. As the angler itself, you know, you're wearing bright clothing or you've got your, like, I've got a red rain suit from Cabela's. You're doing a figure eight. And if that fish can see you, you know, you can see that fish and vice versa. And it helps a little bit to, to mask you know, your actions and your motions in the boat that might not scare a fish off. So it's got its advantages and disadvantages for sure. I like that you can, you know, you don't have to be so precise about lack of movement because, you know, you can't see each other. You can do your deep figure eights too if you, you know, need be on certain things, but you have these fish come up that scare the heck out of you. I know I've had days with, you know, with Lake X, fat bastards and cannonball juniors in late fall where I can't get a fish to move on a bait. I'm going to throw a top water. And you, you're thinking every cast is these fish aren't just a piss fast turnover. These fish aren't going to come out here. And one comes up in the eight and completely misses the bait and scares the crap out of you. But then you've got a sucker and it goes over and hits the sucker. There's just something about darker water that I, that I really like. You use the brighter colored baits, but you can also use more of a subdued natural um, natural color to them. The more structure you have in these lakes, you know, the like you go out on Boom Lake, for instance. See, there is ten million logs on the bottom of that. I can see on my on my hummingbird side imaging. There is logs everywhere in that in that water. But you know, there's a little bit of current in there, and those fish can, you know, be on any of this structure. And there's supposedly even a myth that there's a, a flatbed railroad car sitting at the bottom of Boom Lake someplace. 
I don't know for all the times I've been hung up out there. I don't know how true this story is or not, but you know, you get on these systems that like the Wisconsin river, there's so much different. You go off the river, there's so much different structure and so much, you know, it's just amazing. The, the weeds in some of these areas and, you know, on some of the other darker water, there's lack of weeds. So they put more structure in the bottom of these lakes. And that's something that I, I really like to fish a lot is the crib bars and the rock bars. And you've got the trolling motor prop bouncing off of, you know, these shallow rock bars and that, but I love working structure. I run four, four hummingbird helixes on my boat and two of them always have a full screen on side imaging. Cause you know, with your 2D, you're just seeing straight down. But with the side imaging, I can see 100 feet out to each side. And every time I go out, I find something new on a body of water. You know, so I, I feel that the dark bodies of water have a little bit a little bit more forgiving when it comes to making mistakes as you're, as you're casting. And that, you know, all musky anglers know this. If you get a, you know, a fish that's under 40 inches, you can maybe have a little bit of a hiccup in your, in your cast and your retrieve. But if it's a bigger fish and they see one little problem with that, you know, all the stars aligning and you catching that muskie, that fish could be gone. Darker water, you've got a little bit, you know, more of a chance of making a mistake there and still having that fish be, stay as a bite. What kind of baits are you using in this darker stained water? I mean, are you trying to find some noisy baits? Um, are you going to approach it with different speeds of retrieval just because it is dirty and you want those fish to actually, uh, have an opportunity to find that bait? Yeah. You know, I, and it really depends on the time of year, but I'll use baits, you know, some crankbaits with rattles in them, something that makes a lot of noise. I'll, I'll use slower baits, kind of like a walk the dog style, like a phantom. Um, I like suics. I love you know, running suics, even pretty much all year round, I'll use a 10 inch suic out there. It's got, got a bigger profile. It's running slower. gives that fish a chance to see that. You know, I run, I do run some bucktails in that out there and some, it just depends on, you know, if the sun's up and, and I feel that this, you know, copper or gold silver blade is given off a nice flash in the water. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that and I'll use that. But there's other days where the sun could be bright and, the color to me looks better in the water. It's just one of those instinctual things that you do. So, you know, I, I like using bigger blades and or um, offset blades. I like using like a eight nine combo or a nine ten combo. Something that's something that's got you know more of a wobble to it. And obviously, the darker water. You know, are those fish going to be able to see this bait? You know, it really depends on the day. And you know, I think that most of these fish are going to feel that bait before they ever see it so you gotta use you know something that makes a lot of noise has a lot of vibration and and at times things that are you know baits that are slower yeah that makes perfect sense i mean it's almost like fishing after dark right you're, you're just dealing yep. with yep. same water that uh same differences fishing at night so definitely yep. slowing things down speed of retrieval can definitely be a key there's no doubt about that rubber's another one that i that I like to throw. I sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, rubber's another one I like to I like to throw because you know they find this rubber, and the good thing about rubber is they grab onto rubber and it feels like something real to them. It doesn't feel like it's you know a hard wood or hard plastic. You know, it's got a better hookup percentages percentage because it's you know it's rubber. 
but these fish grab onto this and they don't want to let go of it because of that, you know, that fact. So that's another thing. If this fish in this darker water doesn't have the best hit on this bait, you've got a better hookup percentage with a bait that's rubber and it's completely flexible too. You know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask earlier, I was just thinking about is, you know, you're a multi-species angler, you're a multi-species guide. How does yep. that play into um, more success in the in the musky side of things i mean there's definitely got to be a few keys that i think help you as being a multi-species guy that that helps you stay in the game with muskies definitely you know and i i've had more muskies come up and eat bluegills walleyes crappies out guiding like i wish i'd had my musky net with because you know they grab onto a meal it's that's a real fish you know there's nothing more real than live bait they don't want to let go of it but you know, a lot of people say, where are the muskies in the lake? They're going to follow their food source. So, if, you know, I'm out a day and we see, you know, four muskies on a shoreline. Well, they were nice and active there. Well, now I know about where their bait's going to be. The muskies are going to follow their food source. And you go out all the way from the bugs for the bluegills, and then you pretty much go right out and up the food chain from there. They're going to be in these same types of areas, but it helps. It helps vice versa and vice versa, really. I'm out fishing muskies and we got a bunch of fish on a spot, well, there's going to be, you know, bait fish in there. And then if there's bait fish in a spot, well, maybe there's muskies in this spot. You know, I'll be out fishing for crappies or something on a weed bed and I'll see three muskies porpoise that day. I'm like, well, I know those fish are in here. And it's, it's just things like that that you throw in your database and you learn more as you go. And I think that, you know, fishing the multi-species makes you a, a better all-around musky angler just having just little things that 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 go with fishing these species that that end up helping you you know as a guide as an angler because you know and my big thing is you always have to be learning you know i've had people in my boat that have never fished before and i've learned stuff from them it might have been a way of teaching you know somebody how to how to catch from muskies it may be of how to you know how to rig a slip bobber use a slip bobber you know, and then I've got things where I, I learn stuff for myself. Because you know, I my big thing is learn something every day when I'm on the water. Because if you're not learning, you're actually going backwards. Yeah, I think you know that that's one of the beauties of musky fishing, right? I mean, I don't know that there's ever a time that you really truly feel that uh, you know all. You know what I mean? But no, and I'm, and that goes with all species. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. New techniques, new new ways to you know to work you know work jigs over an area or cast through an area and doing you know doing different things and you, all kinds of different things that you, that you can try and you know ninety five times out of a hundred uh, this idea you have isn't going to work but that one time when you decide hey maybe I should try this and it works you you look like a genius. Well, I kind of interesting story. A good buddy of mine um, fishes on the Mississippi quite often, and yep. he's doing it for smallmouth. And as he's smallmouth fishing, he's catching muskies, and so he switches and starts fishing muskies, and he can't—he can't even see a muskie. And uh, I'm like, sounds like you should start bass fishing again. A lot of times, I think you know, between species, if there's something that's working, maybe it's a technique, maybe it's a rhythm of of working that bait, and you're starting to see those muskies. Um, you can definitely put two and two together and start getting after it in that aspect. Yep. 
Exactly. And they're like, you know, for, for fishing muskies live bait, I use a slip bobber off the back. I run the slip bobber right, right on my hundred pound braid and it, it works well. And I use slip bobber fishing for pretty much all other species that I do fish. So you learn stuff as you, as you go with that. And I've had, I've had big walleye come up and eat suckers. I've had pike come up and eat suckers. I've had bass grab a hold of suckers. You know, it's, it's just, it's just amazing, but then you get, you know, you grab this, this pike bite, this, you know, 10-inch suic, and the pike's only 11 inches long, but yet we've had, you know, muskies grab these little 4-inch baits, and it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling you know, what goes on in here. I, we've caught muskies on, on 16-ounce jigs with crappie minnows on them, and it's like, what are these fish thinking? But yet, they'll, they can, you know, they can take a 20-inch sucker if they needed to. It's just, it's just incredible, the, the different you know, and I, that's one thing that people say, oh, yeah, I was fishing for, you know, I was fishing for bass or, you know, jigging for crappies, and I caught a muskie, or I had a muskie grab a hold of it. And I'm like, you wouldn't believe how many clients I have in the boat that have that same story, that a muskie grabbed their bait or grabbed their fish. You know, Andy, so we're talking about darker stained water. Typically, does your does the size of your lure increase? Does it try to make a, a bigger target? Because, I mean, typically I'd say the general rule up in northern Wisconsin seems to be, you know, uh, smaller to mid-sized baits, although I don't always find that correct. There's many lakes that I fish, even small lakes that I fish. They'll eat a 12-inch matlock like nothing. But anyways, yep. um, you know, are you, are you fishing smaller baits or are you fishing larger baits on these darker stained waters? Really, for me, it's an instinctual thing or what's the bite been doing lately. I mean, I caught fish on a Cannonball Junior down to 32 inches and it was just barely B-cooked, but, you know, but yet I've had 46, 47-inch muskies eat, eat a little bass. It's an instinctual thing with me, to be honest with you. I'm sitting here trying to think about, you know, some of the past experiences you've last 11 years, but... I, I, it's not really a question I can answer. And if I had somebody that needed to have an answer, I would say have, you know, if you got three people casting in the boat or even two, try to run some different baits. Somebody run a mid-sized bait, somebody run a big bait. If that doesn't work, you know, change things up a little bit. Um, it, it really, I think, depends on the body of water I'm on. Like, for instance, Boom Lake. If I'm fishing suckers on Boom Lake in the fall, I'm going to be using probably a 10 or 12-inch suic. And I try to upsize my suckers a little bit out there because there's a lot of pike out there. You know, the pike are pretty aggressive and the pike, you know, are, are nice. They're they, you know, mid to upper 30-inch pike I caught out there uh, that are nice and thick. And if you go out there with a 12-inch sucker, it's probably going to get eaten by a pike. So I try to upsize suckers out there. So I think, personally, it really depends on the body of water you're on versus, you know, just, just the general consensus of, you know, of a size bait. I mean, versus any other water, I would say, yeah, upsize a little bit, but, but my, I guess my feeling behind things is have something that's got a unique vibration. And I've been using offset blades, I think, before anybody had marketed one. I've been using them for years. It's, it's just that, that thinking in my head, just that, different style is it going to work who knows you know is, is if a fish isn't going to bite i believe that that fish is not going to bite but if you can get a fish that's kind of in a mid mid range i'm not sure what i want to do you can turn those fish into biters and you can even take these fish these muskies that are you know less than neutral and you can turn them into biters by doing some different things in the figure eight i think you know lures that make a lot of noise 
you know, I mean, even some of these little crankbaits, these little, you know, shallow raiders, the baby shallow raiders, the baby depth raiders. I mean, I'm using these baits on, on super, super dark water, but you get some of these baits that got rattles in them. And I think that has more to do with it than the size of the bait. It's, it's kind of what the bait does with the vibration the bait gives off versus the size of it. Andy, another question I had would be, do you spend any time trolling in Northern Wisconsin? Almost, um, none. You know, if I'm, if I want to eat lunch and I'm between spots, I might putt over, put a couple of rod holders out and run a couple of baits, but I do very, very, very little of it. Seems to be a pretty common theme for up there. You know, you obviously spend a lot of time on the water. Do you see many people trolling up there at all? Cause you know, I know prior to the, them opening it up, whatever it was, I want to say it was three years ago, but it could be six for all I know. It's been a while. Uh, yeah. You know, do you see a lot of people using that as a technique or not so much? You know, in some of the tournaments that they can fish, it, it does get pretty highly used to where you get, you're getting people from different states and some of the states that are traditional trolling areas. Outside of tournaments that you're allowed to troll in, I see a few people, a handful of people, but otherwise I don't see much. So your experience on the water is about the same as what I see. I don't see very many yeah, people and doing it. Know, and it's just like anything else. They, they, they go to do something and they're going to legalize a new technique. People, people are up in arms about stuff. And it's like, it's never usually as anywhere near as bad as you think it's going to be. You know, the tournament, yeah, it can get, you know, you get in one of these big tournaments like the PMTT out on the, the Eagle chain when they used to fish up here and you've got, boats going every which direction across Eagle Lake and you're trying to get across the Eagle River chain and you can't get across the lake. That's really the only time it's been been an issue that I've seen that you can't you can't get where you need to go and obviously it's op- the tournament's open for that. You gotta, you know, try to get across there by zigzagging across the water. But otherwise, yeah, there's there's a few people that do it, but you know, otherwise it's it's not much of an issue up here. Yeah, as you say, it definitely seems like it's underutilized. And I don't know, I, when I when they first opened it, I thought I'd be up there trolling all the time, but I did mm-hmm. it for a little while. But the one, the, you know, the one rod limit per person, it just seemed like I was better to just cast, I felt like. So I didn't spend as much time doing yeah. it. But certainly something I want to try to, you know, really dial in up there. But, it, you know, when you're limited time on the water like I am, you know, you kind of pick the technique that you feel the best about. And, and trolling is always yeah. it for me up there. Yeah, and I know Steve Hiding. I just saw him speak at the Boundary Waters Musty Club up in Iron Mountain this last Saturday, and he, he says it in his seminars. I'm I'm no expert at trolling, but I've got these leaders that you control with, and that's that's true. That you know, I'm certainly no expert at trolling, and it's one of those things that you'd think, as you know, being Steve and myself, that you'd spend more time doing. The problem is, you you think about this stuff in the winter time. You're like, well, I'm going to do more of this, and I'm going to. I'm going to make my own baits and I'm going to go out here and I'm going to try to get, you know, some special bucktail that's going to be, you know, the eighth wonder of the world that I'm going to catch a million muskies on this next year. And you're thinking about doing this stuff, but when it really comes down to it, we don't have the time to do that. And that's the biggest issue is, you know, the time that I'm spending not guiding, I'm either pre-fishing or I'm, I might be out fishing for myself having fun, but I'm learning every time I'm out, I'm learning something that, pertains to my guiding i'm gonna go fish a lake oh let me try this lake out today just just for the heck of it i'll close my eyes and pick a lake out on the map and okay no i'm not gonna go there uh oh let me try this yeah this lake here sounds pretty interesting i've checked this boat landing out 
you know, and in the early spring when I'm able to get down there, I've looked at this landing, which is another thing I like to do because there's so many lakes up here. Um, check these boat landings out before the ice goes out and see how they look and, you know, put that on my list for the year to go try out. So go in this lake and, Oh, well, I know I don't need to come back here. And, you know, I've been on some darn good water for the first time that I know is darn good water. And I, you know, it'd be better off being drained for all I care because of the day I had out there. So you can't always go by your first impression on lakes, but I, I, I'm always learning when I'm on the lake, depending on if I'm guiding, I'm goofing around, or I'm pre-fishing. Not really a need for me to troll, and not that I'm against it, but it's just not something that I have a hinkering for, for going to learn a lot about because there's there's so much you need to know. You know, a lot of people say, well, you just put lines in the water and you just go run an edge. Well, it's not that simple. I've trolled with guys on Green Bay that do it for a living and, you know, professional trollers and that. It, it, there's so much more more to it than just running a line. It's just like somebody says, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a multi-species guide. I want to try to go guide for muskies. Well, it, it's not that easy. Or I wanna, I'm going to take up muskie fishing. I go out to guide for one day and I'll know everything there is and have all this gear. Well, it's not that simple. You've got to have good equipment. You've got to have good rods, good reels. You've got to keep line on there. If your line frays, you've got to cut, you know, six or eight feet of it off. And, and there's so many different things to these sports that it, it seems easy to just go out and start trolling stuff. But, you know, it's just like trying to run suckers too early in the year. You're getting caught up in weeds left and right. And it's like, what am I running suckers for? And, you know, early to mid-September. And, and the same thing with trolling. You run these baits, you know, too deep get too far into a, a weed edge and you're going to be all tangled up and it's just more more of an issue than it's worth like i said it sounds good when you're sitting sitting in your recliner at the house and it's you know you got a, a winter storm warning outside but when it really comes down to it it's like well if it was something that i really wanted to pursue it, it would take a lot of time and effort to get going you can watch all the youtube videos you want to and you can listen to all the podcasts you want but at least in my experience, getting out on the water and doing these things is the best way to learn how to do it. Certainly no substitute for time on the water. We've mentioned it many, many times. Yep. You know, yep. you, if you hear about a new technique or, or whatever, you know, your best way to go and, and learn and, you know, really dial it in is to get out there and do it. That's you yeah. know, clearly and the I way love, to do it. I love listening to podcasts and I love watching Keys Outdoors and Musky Hunter and the meat eater and all these fishing and hunting shows in the wintertime because it gets me fired up, but there's nothing better than spending time, you know, spending time on the water to learn how to fish. And, and like I say, I learn stuff every time I'm out on the water. You know, so Andy, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. If somebody's looking to learn a little bit more about your guide service, how do they go about doing that? So I'm on Facebook. You can look up uh, Hendo's Angling. That's uh H-E-N-D-O apostrophe S, angling, spelled as in, you know, fishing, or hendosangling.com. My phone number is 715-401-0475. You can call or text. That's basically it. You know, so Andy, we still have a couple more expos to go. Are you at any of these expos? Do you have booths at any of these expos? If anybody wanted to stop by and see you at any of those either? This year, we're not, I'm not going to be, I, I say we as my, you know, wife and our little two-year-old, well, 20-month-old daughter, she's, she's a big handful, but that's not the reason we're not going. But 
Um, not this year. Um, I was going to do Chicago and Milwaukee and do a seminar, but we decided not to. Normally, go to Wausau and work some of my sponsors' booths, but I, we will not be in, in um, Wausau this this year because my nephew um, is getting his first communion that weekend, so we will not be attending. So, unfortunately, I won't be at any fishing shows this year. Plan on me being at the Chicago show for sure next spring, and I will be in Wausau some capacity. Well, Andy, I want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to talk muskies with us. And we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to us for another episode. And we will catch everybody again with a new one next week, Wednesday. Sounds great. Thank you very much.